Well, as we've noted, today is Mother's Day, and believe it or not, I do give some thought to what I'm going to preach on special Sundays. You know, seldom do I stray from the study we're in, but I do try to find some way to tie the text to the day. to make a, a scheduled message into a Mother's Day sermon, so I simply began by noting that Paul's mother must have been proud of him. Uh, that attempted humor didn't go over very well. It's going over better now than it did then. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm going to try for humor maybe again this week. But before we get there, last week uh, we sorted out the answers in Matthew 24, noting that the primary question asked of Jesus was concerning the destruction of the temple and any signs that might warn that it was about to take place. Jesus proceeded to tell them that when they saw the armies moving against Jerusalem, they were to flee into the mountains, not into the walled city for protection. Those who followed his instructions were saved, and over a million who didn't were lost in the great tribulation of 70 A.D. The disciples had also asked a second question, assuming that the destruction of the temple would signal his coming and the end of the age. But Jesus made it clear that wars and rumors of wars, even the destruction of Jerusalem itself, as well as catastrophic events in nature, would not signal his return. That the only sign of his coming will be the sound of a trumpet and the parting of the sky as he descends in the clouds to gather his elect in a demonstration of great power and glory. As to the when of that event, Jesus said only the Father knows. So he could give us no signs to watch for other than the event itself. And that's the way he wants it. Because he wants us to stay ready all the time. In fact, he told us, be on the alert, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. And for this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Jesus doesn't want us guessing about the time of his return. He just wants us to be ready. And he stressed that fact with three parables that warn us not to be found unfaithful, unprepared, or unproductive when he returns. He introduced the first parable with these words. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Now, when I read those words this week, I smiled 
because I thought I had found my Mother's Day tie-in. After all, isn't that a picture of a mother? A sensible slave in charge of a household who gives everyone their food at the proper time. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate that. I thought it was funny. Marilyn didn't. <laughs> but uh, be that as it may, let's get into the text this morning and look at three parables. Parables that warn us about the need for staying ready for the Lord's return. The first parable says, in effect, don't be found unfaithful. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come at a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. You know, when leaving on a trip, isn't it one of our first concerns who will take care of things when we're gone? If you have pets or plants, you make arrangements to have them fed and watered and hope your choice for caregiver is a wise one. And a faithful and sensible caregiver fulfills his or her responsibilities and is rewarded when you return. An evil person will say, oh boy, they're gone. I can do whatever I want. And sadly, both types can be found in the kingdom of God. A faithful and sensible servant of Christ takes his responsibilities seriously and seeks to fulfill them. If he's been entrusted with the care of others as a minister or elder or teacher or youth sponsor, or nursery worker, or usher, or whatever, he or she conscientiously fulfills those responsibilities and will be rewarded for doing so when Christ returns. Some, however, forget who it is they're working for and forget that he's coming back. And some, even in the church, abuse the authority They've been given. They use people for their own means. They forget. They forget that we are all servants of the same Lord. And just because he has given some, placed some over others, doesn't mean they have the right to do as they please. His reason for putting some over others is so they can care for them. Elders are called shepherds for a reason. If they abuse that position and mistreat those put under their care or abandon them and seek fellowship with the world, he will judge them severely when he returns. And he will return when he's not expected. So it won't work 
to say, I've got plenty of time. I'll get things ready before he returns. Some years ago, when Marilyn and I were on a trip to Jamaica, Matt apparently, sorry, you're here today, son. Uh, Matt apparently had a really good time around the house. His sister saved him by spending the better part of the day getting everything back in order before I returned. Remember that? No, that's good. But it happened. I have it documented. <laughs> you know, I hate to think, I hate to think what would have happened if we had come back early. I, I doubt that his mother would have cut him to pieces. But that's exactly what Jesus says he'll do with unfaithful servants when he returns. They will be cut in pieces. Literally, it says, I cut in two. And they will be assigned a place with the hypocrites, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If Jesus has given you a responsibility to fulfill in his absence, and quite frankly, He's given all of us responsibilities to fulfill. We better make certain we are meeting those responsibilities and obligations and that we are ready for his return. At any moment, we don't want to be found unfaithful. Neither do we want to be found unprepared. Let's read on. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. It was a custom in Jesus' day for the bridesmaids to wait with the bride for the groom's arrival and to accompany them to his house for a wedding feast. And they kind of made a game out of waiting for his arrival. Rather than set a time for the wedding feast, the groom would merely tell them he was coming. Sometimes he wouldn't even tell them what day he was coming. This created an air of expectancy and added to the excitement for the occasion. Just for fun, he would often come for his bride in the middle of the night. 
He would give them a little warning, sending a runner ahead to announce his arrival and then appear. Between the announcement and his arrival, the bridesmaids would quickly freshen themselves up and make certain their torches were full because no one was allowed to take part in a processional at night without a torch. In the parable, five bridesmaids planned well for the processional. They brought not only their torches, but extra oil. And five did not plan adequately. They burned whatever oil they had while they were waiting and ran out before he arrived. This, Jesus indicated, is a picture of something that can take place in the kingdom of heaven. We are like bridesmaids waiting for the groom to arrive. We don't know when he's coming. We know he is. We don't know when. Obviously, it's important that we be like the five prudent virgins who, while expecting him at any time, made adequate preparation in case he was delayed. Now, we don't want to press the parable too far and read more into it than Jesus intended. We don't know what the oil is supposed to represent, if anything. But it appears that it is something the five prudent virgins couldn't give to the five foolish virgins. Perhaps it was some spiritual resource that they could only get from the source itself. Maybe it was the grace that sustains us and keeps us faithful during Christ's delay. Whatever it was, the point being made is that when Christ comes, we better be ready. We can't let our spiritual batteries run down and assume there will always be time to get them charged up. We can't depend on others either to keep us charged up and ready. We've got to keep our own lamps trimmed and burning bright until he comes. And we do that the same way the early Christians did in Acts. We continually devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If we don't, we'll find ourselves on the wrong side of a closed door. Don't be found unprepared. And don't be found unproductive. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I've gained two more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord doesn't want us just waiting until he comes. And it's not even enough to simply maintain our faith in him. He wants us to be productive. He has entrusted us with his possessions. And he expects us to use them to honor him. Now, the talents that were given to the slaves weren't what we normally think of as talents. They were a measure of money. A talent was a specific weight of precious metal, usually silver. And it's believed that the value of a talent in New Testament times was 6,000 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage for a common laborer. So a talent was equal to around 20 years' wages. At $100 a day, that would be in the neighborhood of $600,000. So we're talking about large sums of money here. And the talents were entrusted to the slaves according to their ability. The master gave his most gifted slave five talents or approximately $3 million to invest. The second most gifted received over a million. And the one often referred to as the one talent man got $600,000. So he was entrusting great wealth to all of them. The man who received five talents immediately put his resources to work and doubled his money. 
The man who received two talents did the same. The man who received one talent, however, was afraid. He knew he didn't have the abilities of the other slaves, so he assumed he had no abilities. That wasn't true. His master knew he had enough ability to handle a small fortune. So he had entrusted him with $600,000. Not true. It was less than the others. But it was still a fortune. And he could have done a lot of good with it. But he was afraid. He underestimated his own abilities ignored the confidence his master had placed in him and decided not to take any chances. So he buried his fortune and did nothing. When the master returned, the first two slaves were equally rewarded. It didn't matter to the master that one had made more than the other. What mattered was that they both had worked up to their potential and had used the resources he had entrusted them to the best of their abilities. The servant who had buried his talent, however, was condemned. He was cast into the outer darkness, to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, many expositors insist this man didn't lose his salvation, he just lost his reward. That's not what it sounds like to me. I think Jesus is saying we must be productive. He doesn't save us just to get us into heaven. He saves us to be productive members of the kingdom of God. And while we aren't saved by works, he does expect us to work. And as James points out, we demonstrate our faith by our works. So when Jesus comes back, there's going to be an accounting of what we've done with what he's given us. Now, that does not mean we have to live in fear that we won't have done enough. You know, no one can do enough to merit the gift of eternal life. But he does expect us to use the gifts and abilities he gave to us in ways that benefit the kingdom. It is not acceptable to bury our gifts and do nothing. And since we don't know when he's coming back, we better make sure that we're like the first two servants in the parable and immediately put those things to work that he's entrusted to us. So what are you doing for the kingdom today? Are you investing a sizable portion of your income in kingdom work? Are you doing things with your life that bring glory to God? Are you using everything that you have to the best of your ability to please your Lord? If not, 
you may be found unproductive when he returns. And none of us want to be found unfaithful, unprepared, or unproductive when he comes back. That's why we heed the warnings found in these parables and live each day as if it were the day of our Lord's return. Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? There's a hymn entitled that. Haven't sung it for a long time. I actually went over to the piano this week and tried to pound out the notes. I could remember what it sounded like. And uh, (laughs) Carol was here. She said, oh, I can quit playing now. You can handle it. I said, no, 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 no. I said, come here, play it for me. She looked at it and she says, I've never heard of this song. She worked at it for a while and we got it. And I go, oh, yeah, that's a good song. It's a good song. I called Bonnie and she said, I haven't played that one since the 50s. (laughs) Now, if she hasn't played it since the 50s, chances are you haven't sung it lately. But we're going to try to sing it because I like the words. And that's what's important, so. Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Are you ready? And are you staying ready? If not, do something about it today.